0: Is there a conflict in the Koberger case? If there is, they need to get it resolved now. Alex Murdoch's defense grilled the first police officers on the double homicide scene Thursday about why he failed to report tire tracks and footprints discovered at the property. Lori Vallow wants her case dismissed for violating her constitutional right to a speedy trial. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich and this is Crime Talk. It is January 26th, 2023. But before we get to the docket, you know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, leave me a comment below and hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can listen to us on any of your favorite podcasting apps simply by typing in Crime Talk. All right, and as well, support the people that are sponsors of today's show, crimetalksearch.com. Go to that link, sign up for that background subscription service, be able to do a background search on anyone you want in the United States, and you can do as many searches as you want while you have a subscription. And that subscription is easy, and you can cancel it at any time. But if there's somebody new coming into your life, whether you're male or female, you want to check them out. On those dating apps, check them out. You're going to get information as to their criminal history an idea of what their financial status is. Do they own homes? Do they have judgments against them? Are there liens against them? Do they have to register on one of those public registries? You know what I'm talking about. Check them out. It's gonna be more thorough than anything you'd get by a quick search on a Google. Go to crimetalksearch.com. You'll be happy you did and who knows, it could possibly save your life. All right, let's go ahead and open the docket. First on the docket, is there a conflict in the Koberger matter? As we brought you this story the other day, the public defender, Ms. Taylor, that is representing Mr. Koberger, also represented the mother of one of the victims in a drug case currently pending out there in Idaho. So now the mother of one of the four students uh, slain in Idaho has revealed that she feels as though she was abandoned by her lawyer so she clearly thought Ms. Taylor was her lawyer and then abandons her to represent her daughter's killer. Kara Northington's daughter was Zaina Kernodal. And obviously she was killed in November at the student house there in Moscow, Idaho, which uh, she shared with three friends. Then on December 30th, The police arrested Brian Koberger, who's a Ph.D. student in criminology at Washington State University at their Pullman campus, which is about eight miles from the Moscow residence. At the time, Northington was represented for various drug charges by Ann Taylor, the chief public defender for the county. And then on January 5th, the day that Koberger appeared before a judge in Idaho, Taylor officially dropped Northington without even a phone call to tell her that she was going to represent the alleged killer. Now, Miss Northington says that she is heartbroken and she says, because I trusted her. She felt as though she was pretended that she was wanting to help me. And to find out that she's representing him, referring to Mr. Koberger, she says she can't even convey the betrayal that she feels. Now, she doesn't know whether she has a lawyer in her own case or whether she's basically... Uh, representing herself at this point, and um, whether really Miss Taylor is actually going to represent um, the murder, the accused murderer in her daughter's case. Miss Northington also says that she feels though the prosecutors have abandoned her, and uh, furthermore was furious that the police might have identified Koberger as a suspect and didn't tell the families. Why is that significant? Well, because she has another daughter by the name of Jasmine Kernodal, and she was taking classes at Washington State University, apparently alongside Koberger. And the fact that they knew and allowed Jasmine to attend the Washington State University, she says that she is pretty much beside herself. Apparently, her daughter was quite adamant that she was going to go to school, but to think that uh, Zaina's killer was there, uh, maybe she would have uh, rethought that decision. Now, Northington, who has long battled uh, drug addiction, says that uh, she only found out that uh, Taylor was representing her daughter's accused killer when a friend saw it on social media and reached out to her. Now, some have speculated that Taylor's appointment to represent Coburger uh, was one of necessity because it's a small community and out of abundance there's not an abundance of qualified public defenders, particularly if it goes to be a death penalty case. Now, Ms. Taylor is just one of 13 public defenders in Idaho approved by the state public Def- defense commission to uh, lead or be a first chair in a capital case. She's apparently also the only one there in Northern Idaho. Now, prosecutors have yet to indicate whether they're going to seek the death penalty in Coburger's case, and there's been no word as to whether they're going to raise the issue of a conflict as it relates to Miss Taylor and the public defender's office. Now, I was watching another um, network and they had Mark Garrigos, pretty accomplished criminal defense lawyer uh, there in California. And he says that Ms. Taylor would have a big problem cross-examining Ms. Northington. Now, although Miss Northington was not at the crime scene, probably not a direct witness as it relates to that particular uh, crime. If there's a death penalty portion of this case, there's no doubt that she would potentially be there. So if she's called as a witness in her daughter's murder trial, that could be a problem. Sure, we've talked about it. You could do what they call build a Chinese wall around that specific lawyer and let somebody else handle all of those types of issues. But Mr. Garagos agrees with me. It is huge, ample grounds for an appeal if Koberger is convicted. Now, some people will say, well, if he's convicted, he's gonna appeal anyway, so what does it matter? The point is, why would you do it? Now, some people can uh, disagree. Um, in fact, we've had discussions in my office. Some people think it's a conflict, other people don't think it's a conflict. Since Miss Taylor didn't represent Miss Norlington as a uh, direct witness in this particular case, there's not a conflict. So you can see it's not as clear cut as you may think. Uh, attorneys in my own office Uh, disagree on how it should be handled. I'm just of the mindset, it's a death penalty case. This thing's going to drag on forever anyway, but do you really want to do it again in about 10 years? Probably not. So, needless to say, is the court needs to hold a hearing on this, sue I'm not sure it's going to happen until they get to the district court, but either way, you need to get this resolved. All right, the next matter on the docket, the Alec Murdoch case. That's right, we have a jury. We've done opening statements and uh, little as we speak, the first three witnesses have been called. And the first prosecution witness was Sergeant Daniel Green. And he told the jurors that when he arrived at the uh, hunting house there on uh, June 7th of 2021, also known as Moselle, he found Maggie and Paul both face down in pools of blood. Both had been the victims of, obviously, gunshots. Now, Mr. Murdoch's attorneys ripped Green for not taking photos of tire tracks and footprints and not putting anything on his feet to preserve the blood and um, other spatter that was on the ground. The defense theory is obviously that somebody else killed Mr. Murdoch's wife and son in revenge for a boat crash during which Paul had been driving under the influence killing the young Miss Mallory Beach, who was only 19 years at the time, going back to February of 2019. Now, Green, who said he saw multiple tire tracks incomparable with the number of uh, vehicles at the hunting lodge, admitted that he did not photograph the tracks or footprints, and he said he did not inform SLED, which is the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, about the evidence because it was, quote, not part of my job description, end quote. Ooh, Ooh, really? You just ignore things of evidentiary value because that's not your job description? Point for the defense. Now, the officer also showed jurors the shotgun that he discovered uh, at the scene, um, which he secured in his patrol car. And uh, he stated that Mr. Murdoch appeared upset and anxious. The deputy also stated that he approached Murdoch. His immediate reaction was to start telling me about his son and about the boating accident at the time of his death that he was facing uh, charges for. Now, Murdoch claimed that he had been visiting his mother, who suffers from Alzheimer, and arrived home to find, obviously, Paul and Maggie deceased near the dog kennels located on the estate. Now, the prosecutors say the cell phone pings will show Murdoch was at the property that night at the time of the murders. Green said that he could not see any blood on Mr. Murdoch, and although he appeared upset, he didn't see any tears either. Murdoch sounded lucid as he was questioned by officers and uh, even heard that he was casually greeting other officers at the scene, saying, how you doing to officers that he recognized. Now, also during cross-examination, the attorneys uh, attempted to skewer the uh, officer about why he didn't uh, make a record or notify investigators of footprints and tire tracks on the wet grass. If you're standing in the spot and there was evidence there in the tire tracks, the evidence could help incriminate somebody or, or exculpate somebody, That's why you do the things that you do, correct? And the officer said, That's why you do not contaminate the evidence, correct? He, referring to Mr. Murdoch, talked about the tire tracks coming and going, and he told you those weren't his tire tracks, correct? The officer confirmed that the defendant did, in fact, say that. Score one for the defense. Then, Mr. McDowell from the Colton County Sheriff's Office was there, was the second witness on the stand, and prosecutors shared his body camera footage showing that he was the person who Murdoch greeted when he arrived on the scene, but McDowell said he never met Mr. Murdoch before. McDowell testified that he was careful not to step on any evidence, as he assisted other officers in covering up the bodies. He also said he turned on his light in an effort to ensure where he knew he was treading and to be careful to avoid any shell casings or footprints. If he had noticed any evidence where he was walking, McDowell said he would have stopped and notified the detectives immediately. Under cross-examination, the defense attorneys went after McDowell as he did with previous officer Green, suggesting that he could have easily disturbed the crime scene. McDowell admitted that he was not wearing plastic coverings with his on his feet, and acknowledged that there may have been some microscopic evidence that he could not identify with his naked eye and the flashlight that he had in his hand. Harpetulian, the defense attorney, said that the uh, Basically said, you don't know what you're doing, do you? Yep. It's going to be interesting, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you, we're carrying it live um, for you, gavel to gavel every day. So far, it has not disappointed. Let the people, you know, maybe leave me a comment. Tell the others that this is worth checking out. I, I really think it is. Good lawyering. Got some good lawyering. Good case. You got a guy falling from grace. Losing everything, so to speak, um, looking at losing at everything, and all of a sudden, did he kill his wife and child? You can't make this stuff up. Next on the docket: Lori Vallow and Chad Day Bell. First, the victims' family in the Lori Vallow Chad Day Bell matter want the judge to reconsider having cameras in the courtroom. So, the family members for JJ Vallow, Tylee Ryan, and Tammy Day Bell are asking the judge to reconsider allowing cameras in the upcoming trial of Chad DeBell and Lori Vallow. Chad DeBell and Lori Vallow pled not guilty, obviously, to multiple counts of first-degree murder and conspiracy to murder the, um, as it relates to the death of J.J. Tiley and Tammy DeBell. Their trial is expected to last up to 10 weeks in Ada County, beginning on April 3rd. Now, as you may recall, Lori Vallow's attorney, Jim Archibald, filed a motion asking Judge Boyce to remove the video cameras from the courtroom and Judge Boyce was more than anxious to agree and comply with the request, and the prosecutors went along with it. Well, Larry Woodcock, who has called into our Patreon show, that's J.J. Vallow's grandfather, he stated an interview to East Idaho News, and he says, I can understand keeping the cameras out in a pretrial hearing, but when that trial starts and the jurors are picked, it's time for the public and the families to be able to see what's taking place. And remember, Boyce wrote in his September ruling that he found no misconduct from the media in the hearings when the cameras were allowed, but expressed concern about pretrial publicity. And that was one of the reasons why he decided to move the case up to Ada County. Now, Tammy Bell's family says that they are not physically or financially able to spend the next 10 weeks and leave their home in Springville, Utah to go and stay in Boise. Now, I'm sure that the victim assistant impact funds can help with those uh, arrangements for food and travel and hotel, which the prosecutors should have to pay for, but it would just seem like it'd be so much easier if it was on TV. Anyway, prosecutors, Rob Wood, Lindsey Blake, have said they don't want cameras, but they understand everybody's concern. I don't get it. As we can see on the Alec Murdoch trial, They've made documentaries about the Alec Murdoch case, just like they did in the Lori Vallow-Chad Bell matter. And that judge, I'm telling you, the judge in the Murdoch case, he has control of that courtroom. And there isn't anybody who's not going to follow his rules, even those experienced attorneys in there who, frankly, have got some pretty big egos. They are going to comply. All it takes is a strong judge making his orders known, and it can be okay. All right, now the next thing on the docket as it relates to Lori Vallow, some motions have been filed. Of course, motions are going to get filed. We're getting close to um, trial date. But guess what is one of the motions filed by Lori Vallow? Motion to dismiss for lack of speedy trial. Now I don't know whether the judge is going to grant this motion somehow. I doubt it because he believes that he's made the appropriate findings whereby he can extend her trial date past the speedy trial date. And I said, you can go back and look. I said, it's going to create issues. There's going to be a speedy trial argument. And guess what? Lori Vallow's attorneys have said, hey, judge, you need to dismiss the case against Lori Vallow because it is violating her constitutional rights under the United States Constitution under the Sixth Amendment, as well as the State of Idaho Article I, Section 13, and the Idaho Code, Section 19305. So obviously, the uh, attorneys for Miss Vallow go through and say everybody has a right to a speedy trial under the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution, as well as the State Constitution there in Idaho, and in fact, The state of Idaho has even codified what is a speedy trial, and they said that under 19-3501, the court, unless good cause to the contrary is shown, must order the prosecution or the indictment to be dismissed in the following cases. If a defendant whose trial has not been postponed upon his application is not brought to trial within six months from the date that the defendant was arraigned before the court in which the indictment is found. Then they cite some case laws saying why it makes sense. Then it goes into the fact of a timeline. February 20th of 2020 just shows you how old this case is, now three years. Lori Val is arrested in Hawaii. A uh, $5 million bond is set. She's indicted by the grand jury on May 25th of 2021. And then some 10 months later, April 19th of 2022, she is arraigned on the indictment. First trial setting is October 11th, 2022. Second trial setting, January 9th, 2023. April 3rd, 2023, the third trial setting on the indictment. 1,169 days in jail on any of these cases. Now, the first trial setting in the instant case was for October 11th, since that was within the six months of the April 9th, 2022 arraignment date. The government then asked for more time, and the court granted the request and set trial for January 9th of 2022. This violated Ms. valo's right to a speedy trial is what her attorneys are arguing, something Scott mentioned a while back. Lori Vallow's defense team then questioned her competence to stand trial, and the court told the case from October 6th of 2022 through November 15th of 2022. That's a 40 day delay caused by the competency review, but it still doesn't justify the trial setting three years after her arrest and almost one year after her arraignment. The government still has an obligation to bring her to speedy trial, which complies with the Constitution and the Idaho Code, is what they're arguing. Now, yes, they're not saying the argument. Remember, they're basically saying, yeah, those 40 days while well, she was, they questioned her competency. We get that that doesn't count. The previous 10 months, where she was not found competent, doesn't really count. But from the time that she's said not guilty, she wants her speedy trial, and she's been very unequivocal about that. She should have had her trial date. So therefore, the defense for Lori Vallow is undisputed The Lori Vallow Daybell has demanded her speedy trial and has never waived her constitutional rights. She is prejudiced every single day since she's in jail and unable to post bond. The court has repeatedly reminded the government that it will respect her constitutional rights to a speedy trial and the government cannot show good cause to bring Lori Vallow to trial over three years from her arrest date. So I knew it was going to be an issue. I would have raised it for sure. Um, It's going to be going to be good. So the other motion uh, that the defense filed and they want to have a hearing on on February 9th is obviously the motion to dismiss for speedy trial violations, a motion to conduct individual voir dire given the fact that it is a death penalty case, and a motion to disclose the penalty phase information filed on January 26th so that the jurors know what's taking place, and a a motion for pre-selection instruction to potential jurors filed on that particular date. We won't go into those, obviously. um, If the uh, (laughs) court were to reverse itself and say that there was not a uh, violation, or I guess I should say if the court reverses itself and says you're right, I violated her constitutional rights to a speedy trial, um, we we won't need any of that. Only Chad Day-Bell would be going uh, to the uh, trial by themselves. Well, some other issues that have popped up as it relates to the trial. Chad Day-Bell is uh, filing another motion. and He is basically asking the court to sever, to sever the cases of Lori Vowell and Chad Day-Bell. Inconsistent theory of defenses. Um, just, just saying. Um, I, I, I don't know why. They didn't comply. I really don't. I mean, I I get it. It was a complicated case. It was complicated by the competency issues. Chad DeBell had waived his right to speedy trial repeatedly. Uh, but really what it boils down to in this particular case is that um, Lori Vallow never waived a right to speedy trial. Yes, when you have co-defendants in a conspiracy case and one wants to go to trial and one doesn't, you got to kind of, you know, what's a reasonable time? Is the court going to kick the case out? No, but I, just another argument on appeal that if there's a conviction, it'll just go on and on and on and on. Next, um, the uh, defense on behalf of uh, Mr. Chad Daybell, they want to ask for additional time in which to disclose their expert witnesses because some of the DNA evidence that has come up has not been turned over just as of yet. And Chad Daybell's attorney, Mr. Pryor, is also saying, I still don't have the forensic DNA reports numbers 15 and 16, so I can't do my job because the state is uh, dragging their feet. Uh, we'll see how that gets resolved. Obviously, the big issue of the day, Lori Vallow motion to dismiss for violation of her speedy trial rights. I, the defense is going to keep raising that issue. First day of trial, judge dismissed, violated speedy trial rights. Judge Boyce is going to say, hey, they were joined. try co conspirators together. It wasn't that long of a delay. He's going to find a way to do it. If she's convicted, the appellate courts will decide, whether there was a violation of her speedy trial rights. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day, and if that triggers or offends you, uh, the not-so-smart criminal of the day. A topless woman broke into a church in North Dakota and ripped a large statue of Jesus off the wall, causing the sculpture to crash to the floor, and according to the police, the woman appeared to be under the influence of narcotics. I am so shocked. Oh, my God. Somebody doing something stupid under the influence of drugs. So police responded Monday evening to the St. Mary's Cathedral in Fargo, North Dakota, after receiving a report of a topless female damaging property. Pretty much fits the description. Upon arriving at the uh, Catholic Church, the Fargo Police Department uh, spotted Brittany Reynolds exiting the cathedral. She had no shirt or bra on and was not wearing any shoes, according to the affidavit for her arrest. Um, now, Miss Reynolds, who was detained, um, sought to run from the police, but was unable to answer her basic orientation questions and appeared under the influence of narcotics, according to the police observations. I'm shocked. Needless to say, the uh, church had surveillance cameras because, hey, if you can't trust what goes on in a church, what can you do? I don't know, but you got to put cameras up everywhere these days. And they recorded Miss Reynolds flipping over a potted plant before ripping the statue of Jesus off the wall. Jesus is taking a tough rap these days. You may recall around Christmas, everybody was trying to steal the baby Jesus's. Um, and now they're going after the full grown Jesus. Back off, people. You don't want to mess with Jesus. OK, you can have more trouble than just the police. Just saying. Anyway, police estimated that it would cost about $11,500 to destroy the uh, destroyed statute of Jesus. She's been charged with a felony, criminal mischief, and Miss Reynolds is being held in custody because she is unable to make her bond. But don't worry, she's got a hearing on March 1st. Plenty of time to sober up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching today. Have a wonderful day, not just a great day. And we'll see you next time on Crime Talk.